Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Ladies and gentlemen, when I prepare to do this show, I have to decide something. Not only the priority of the issues I want to discuss, and sometimes that'll change on a dime right before the show begins, but whether I want to deal with issues that are more scholarly and intellectual, or whether I want to deal with what the press is feeding us, what rioters are feeding us, and so forth. And so we move with a lot of agility in this program dealing with both, or all, I should say. Did you know a Senate office building is named after Richard Russell, who was a segregationist? Shouldn't they change the name of the Russell office building? Do you know there's literally hundreds of monuments, and by that I mean taxpayer-funded highways, byways, tunnels, buildings, named after Robert Byrd, who was a Klansman, a Democrat leader in the Senate? Shouldn't his name be Sam blasted off these places? I mean, if we're serious about this, we need to do it. But that's not what I want to talk about. I want you to take out your notebooks and your pens and maybe raise the volume on your radio. Because we're going to talk about something that's a little heavy, that isn't talked about on sports radio, on music stations, on cable stations, or any of the rest of it. And yet this is not an abstraction when we discuss what I want to discuss, this word liberty. It's everything. Everything. You notice how little Abraham Lincoln is quoted by the leftists? Why is that? He is the greatest of emancipators. 
He said in 1864, we all declare for liberty. But in using the same word, we do not all mean the same thing. With some of the word, liberty may mean for each man to do as he pleases with himself and the product of his labor. While with others, the same word may mean for some men to do as they please with other men and the product of other men's labor. Here are two, not only different, but incompatible things called by the same name, liberty. And it follows that each of the things is, by the respective parties, called by two different and incompatible names, liberty and tyranny. That is on the back of my book, Liberty and Tyranny. And amazingly, I didn't find that quote until I was almost finished writing the book. So it was a grand coincidence that I named the book Liberty and Tyranny. And that phrase, that term, came out of Lincoln's mouth and into his writings. And this is what I want to talk about. Liberty. Because I think it goes to the heart of what's going on in this country. As well as bigotry and jealousy and anger. But we'll stick with liberty. So this is not going to be the easiest 30 minutes or so that we've ever done together. I think one of the most difficult books I wrote for for readers is a book called Rediscovering Americanism and the Tyranny of Progressivism. That and Ameritopia. But this book even more. And it, it is crucially important. And it came out three years ago. Many of you have never heard of a philosopher by the name of Isaiah Berlin. But he's quite iconic. Russian, British, political theorist and philosopher. And as I point out in my book, he examined liberty by dividing it into two general but distinct categories. Positive liberty and negative liberty. And as will become clear, these are easily confused terms, suggesting that positive liberty is something that is good and negative liberty is something that is bad. Or perhaps that positive liberty establishes liberty and negative liberty denies it. That is not the case. In fact, it's the contrary. Now, he explained that positive liberty, stay with me through this, and we'll get to the right place, I promise you. Positive liberty is involved in the answer to the question, he said, what or who? is the source of control or interference that can determine someone to do or be this rather than that. The two questions are clearly different, even though the answer to them may overlap, he said. Conversely, liberty in the negative sense involves an answer to the question, what is the area within which the subject, a person or group of persons, is or should be left to do or be what he is able to do or be, without interference by other people. So in other words, positive liberty is about the government conferring a, a liberty upon you, and that is the extent of the liberty you may exercise. Negative liberty is I as an individual have liberty. I as an individual have liberty. And to what extent should I be left alone? 
Negative liberty in its uh, purest form is the absence of obstacles, barriers, or constraints. One has negative liberty to the extent that actions are available to one in this negative sense. Positive liberty is the possibility of acting or the fact of acting in such a way as to take control of one's life and realize one's fundamental purposes. While negative liberty is usually attributed to individual agents, in other words, your free will, positive liberty is sometimes attributed to collectivities or to individuals considered primarily as members of a given collective. And more and more you're seeing this with identity politics. The reason for using these labels is that in the first case, liberty seems to be a mere absence of something. Absence of obstacles, barriers, constraints, or interference, and so forth. That's more of a libertarian slash conservative approach. Whereas in the second case, it seems to require the presence of something. The presence of something. To compel somebody to do something else. Now, whether it's Marx, or FDR, or Woodrow Wilson, or John Dewey, and so forth... The core themes have evolved around defining individual worth, salvation, and liberation through the lenses of the collective. This is what progressivism is. I've called it statism. So in other words, you define or determine individual worth not through the individual, but through the group, the collective. The collective, scientifically managed by and through a centralized, unified government construct. Often referred to or compared to, as Wilson put it, a living organism or body. Said to represent the general will, the general welfare, national interests, and working masses, the proletariat, as the communists put it. So this organism will only act rationally, will only be in control of itself, when its various parts are brought into line with some rational plan devised by its wise governors. In this case, even the majority might be oppressed in the name of liberty. But what is missing all through is an appreciation for and the best interests and the sanctity and sovereignty of the unique flesh and blood individual human being. And what I'm trying to get to here, and we'll get to the end, is that many of you and I see liberty quite differently than the status progressive defines it, than the Democrat Party defines it, than our universities define it, that Hollywood and the NBA define it. We're talking about actual individual liberty. We want to be left alone. They're talking about Liberty can only be conveyed by the collective, and you only have liberty through the collective, whether that collective is race, party, sports league, a union, ultimately a powerful centralized government. Is this making sense to you, Mr. Producer? Now, on the two concepts of liberty... Berlin explained that studies about politics and philosophy in academia spring from and thrive on discord. Some may question this on the ground that even in a society of saintly anarchists, 
where no conflicts about ultimate purposes can take place. Political problems, for example, constitutional or legislative issues, might still arise. But this objection rests on a mistake. Where ends are agreed, the only question left are those of means. And these are not political, but technical. That is to say, capable of being settled by experts or machines, like arguments between engineers or doctors. So as an example, we all can agree, and we must, that there's systemic racism and systemic oppression in society. Now the debate's simply over the ends. We just need to stop the cops from doing A. We just need to stop the banks from doing B. We just need to do blah, blah, blah. That is why those who put their faith in some immense world-transforming phenomenon like the final triumph of reason or the proletarian revolution, which you see in our streets, which isn't proletarian, of course, it's, it's the mob, must believe that all political or moral problems can thereby be turned into technical ones. Create new programs, create new organizations, elect more Democrats, spend more money. That is the meaning, he said, of Engels' famous phrase, paraphrasing St. Simon, about replacing the government of persons by the administration of things. And the Marxist prophecies about the withering away of the state and the beginning of the true history of humanity. This outlook is called utopian, and I wrote a whole book on that, by those for whom speculation about this condition of perfect social harmony is the play of idle fantasy. Now, perfect social harmony is only capable if everybody agrees. And so, if a law professor has a different view, or if a quarterback has a different view, or if I have a different view, we must be destroyed. We must be shamed. The statues must come down. The books must be burned. The movies and And television shows must be banned. We've all agreed on the outcome in eliminating systemic racism. Now, in this, Berlin said that the people ignore the academics and intellectuals at their own peril. He says these are the people who are behind this. Since it is they who devise and develop the philosophical and political notions upon which politics is practiced. You know, a lot of you might say, why do we get into this? Why do you write books like this? Why do you talk about this? Well, look in the streets. These things don't just happen. They come from ideologues. They come from professors, most of whom were tenured. And politics, in turn, is the means by which institutions govern and affect society and the, and, and the individual. So... Berlin exhorted that not enough attention is paid to this debate and the debaters, despite the fact that the outcome will determine the future of humanity. He said, yet this is both surprising and dangerous. Surprising because there has perhaps been no time in modern history when so large a number of human beings in both the East and the West have had their notions and indeed their lives so deeply altered and in some cases violently upset by fanatically held social and political doctrines. Dangerous because when ideas are neglected by those who ought to attend to them, meaning us, that is to say, those who have been trained to think critically about ideas, they sometimes acquire an unchecked momentum 
and an irresistible power over multitudes of men that may grow too violent to be affected by rational criticism. This is so-called positive liberty. Well, you must seize control of the instrumentalities of government where everybody agrees that the society is, as an example, systemically racist. And now the ends justify the means, any means, peaceful, whatever means, violent, is necessary to accomplish the collectivist common good. Now, I'm not done. Stay with me. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. At Hillsdale College, faith and learning are integrated in pursuit of a common end. And I've been talking a lot about four pillars of the Hillsdale College mission. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. Today, I'd like to focus on faith. As the founders of our nation knew, God is indeed the first authority and the motive toward which all learning moves. Hillsdale understands that we come to really know things through reason and faith. And their students are taught to pursue truth through both. Founded in 1844 by Christians, students of all faiths are welcome at Hillsdale College and always have been. How does the college teach the essentials of the Christian faith and religion, all students must take a course, the Western theological tradition, as part of Hillsdale's rigorous core curriculum. The college also offers majors in religion, philosophy and religion, and Christian studies. Hillsdale's campus is a welcoming place in which to discuss and practice faith. Respectful dialogue among Christians of different denominations and with students of non-Christian faiths is just one hallmark of this stellar college. Now to learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Levinforhillsdale.com. This, uh, we don't have a lot of time, but I want to continue after the break. But just to sum up, so this notion of positive liberty uh, isn't liberty at all. It creates a false premise that in order for you to be liberated, a group needs to be liberated. I'm not just talking about race here. And in order for the group to be liberated, an all-powerful central government must be used to do the liberating. And in order for the group to be liberated, and for you to realize your real individual liberty within the group context, you must, you must destroy whatever is in the way. You cannot have individuals on their own giving their own opinion. You cannot have individuals on their own who are successful. None of that matters. You got to burn the buildings down. You got to broom whatever existed in order to advance the cause of true liberty, group liberty, collectivism, centralization. And that's how you'll, in the end, have the withering away of the state, what you see in Seattle, what you see in Minneapolis, true liberty. Now, of course, it's a lie, as I'll explain further when we return. At Hillsdale College, faith and learning are integrated in pursuit of a common end. And I've been talking a lot about four pillars of the Hillsdale College mission. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. Today, I'd like to focus on faith. As the founders of our nation knew, God is indeed the first authority and the motive toward which all learning moves. Hillsdale understands that we come to really know things through reason and faith. And their students are taught to pursue truth through both. Founded in 1844 by Christians, students of all faiths are welcome at Hillsdale College and always have been. How does the college teach the 
essentials of the Christian faith and religion, all students must take a course, the Western theological tradition, as part of Hillsdale's rigorous core curriculum. The college also offers majors in religion, philosophy and religion, and Christian studies. Hillsdale's campus is a welcoming place in which to discuss and practice faith. Respectful dialogue among Christians of different denominations and with students of non-Christian faiths is just one hallmark of this stellar college. Now, to learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. levinforhillsdale.com. The Mark Levin Show, live and national at 877-381-3811. Now stick with me because this is way over the heads of Antifa, of newsrooms, of ESPN, of Hollywood, of many professors, of leftist groups like BLM, way over the head, but not of you. You see, true liberty, and this notion of positive liberty, cannot be achieved without suppressing, oppressing, dehumanizing others, including those who disagree with you. Because you got to get to paradise. You have to eliminate systemic racism. You have to, first of all, put it out there as the unequivocal problem, without debate. And now you got to fix it. You see, the left today, whether Democrat leaders, actors, athletes, professors, media figures, they're adopting many of the same tactics and certainly the mindset of those who they claim to hate. The desecration of statues, the destruction of speech, the destruction of careers as they march to the promised land of utopian statism. The only way to wipe out the imperfections in society, systemic racism, or call it whatever you wish, is to eliminate everything that's in its way, and then we'll have true freedom. You see, all these isms, progressivism, democratic socialism, they're all, in one form or another, Marxism, anarchism. That's what they are. It's not about liberty. It's about certain individuals or groups of individuals imposing their will on the rest of the individuals in this country whether they like it or not. So the great cause becomes really the cause of certain groups or individuals imposing their will, their view, on the rest of society and using the very same tactics or similar tactics and certainly the same mindset as those who they claim to hate and detest. In further describing negative liberty, Berlin argued, I'm normally said to be free to the degree to which no man or body of men interferes with my liberty. 
Political liberty in this sense is simply the area within which a man can act unobstructed by others. The Tocqueville called it the circle of liberty that exists around every individual. If I am prevented by others from doing what I could otherwise do, I am to that degree unfree. And if this area is contracted by other men beyond a certain minimum, I can be described as being coerced or maybe even enslaved. Coercion is not, however, a term that covers every form of inability. In other words, we have a government, we have a society, we have certain rules. If I say that I am unable to jump more than 10 feet in the air or cannot read because I'm blind or cannot understand the darker pages of Hegel, he's taken a shot at Hegel, it would be eccentric to say that I am to that degree enslaved or coerced. Coercion implies the deliberate interference of other human beings within the area in which I could otherwise act. You lack political liberty or freedom only if you are prevented from attaining a goal by human beings. Mere incapacity to attain a goal is not lack of political freedom. And this is a big problem, isn't it? Let me repeat that point. Mere incapacity to attain a goal is not lack of political freedom. Whether it's a job, pay increase, teaching position, whatever. Now, turning to this positive liberty concept, Berlin asserted self-government may, on the whole, provide a better guarantee of the preservation of civil liberties than other regimes, and has been defended as such by libertarians. But there is no necessary connection between individual liberty and democratic rule. You got that? Democracies can turn tyrannical. You're seeing it right before your eyes. The answer to the question, who governs me, is logically distinct from the question, how far does government interfere with me? It is in this difference that the great contrast between the two concepts of negative and positive liberty in the end consists. For the positive sense of liberty comes to light if we try to answer the question, not what am I free to do or be, but by whom am I ruled? The connection between democracy and individual liberty is a good deal more tenuous than it seemed to many advocates of both. The desire to be governed by myself, or at any rate to participate in the process by which my life is to be controlled, may be as deep a wish as that for a free area of action, perhaps historically older. But it is not a desire for the same thing. So different is it, indeed, as to have led in the end to the great clash of ideologies that dominates our world. For it is this, the positive conception of liberty, not freedom from, but freedom to, to lead one prescribed form of life, which the adherents of the negative notion represent as being at times no better than a specious disguise of brutal liberty. In other words, if you are free to dominate me, because you believe that will expand your freedom or the freedom of a particular group. That's not freedom. That is freedom disguised as a brutal tyranny. And this is what you're seeing being pressed now. And Berlin describes the mindset of the modern statist and their philosophical patrons declaring that in exercising the positive freedom idea, To be all you want to be, 
the danger is that the real self may be conceived as something wider than the individual. In other words, he's saying the real self as a social whole of which the individual is an element or aspect, a tribe, a race, a church, a state, the great society of the living and dead and yet unborn. He says this entity is then identified as being the true self, which by imposing its collective and its supposed higher form of liberty, it is imposing tyranny. Again, this is exactly what you're saying. A little heavy, I know. Now he says, I may go on to claim a good deal more than this as an individual who's really trying to impose my will. I may declare that they are actually aiming at what in their benighted state they consciously resist because there exists within them an occult entity, their latent rational will or their true purpose, and that this entity, albeit Delied by all that they overtly feel and do and say is their real self, of which the poor empirical self in space and time may know nothing or little. In other words, these forces, like on the left, their desires now must become society's desires. Their tactics must become society's tactics. Their individuality is now defined by what they can impose on society. You can see this with people like LeBron James or Steph Curry or whomever. He says, once I take this view, I am in a position to ignore the actual wishes of men or societies to bully, oppress, torture them in the name and on behalf of their real selves. In real liberty, in the secure knowledge that whatever is the true goal of man, happiness, wisdom, so forth, must be identified with the individual's definition of freedom. Because unless my will is imposed on the rest of society, unless I'm able to force the institutions and the people in this society to embrace it, then I, or my people, or my party, aren't truly free. That is exactly what's playing out today. He said the positive conception of freedom as self-mastery with its suggestion of a man divided against himself has in fact, and as a matter of history, of doctrine and of practice, lent itself more easily to the splitting of personality into two, the transcendent, dominant controller and the empirical bundle of desires and passions to be disciplined and brought to heel. It is this historical fact that has been influential. This demonstrates that conceptions of freedom directly derived from views of what constitutes a self, a person, a man. Enough manipulation of the definition of man and freedom can be made to mean whatever the manipulator wishes. Whatever the manipulator wishes becomes, quote-unquote, freedom. And he says, recent history has made it only too clear that the issue is not merely epidemic. And he's quite right. What does all this mean? It means when you hear NBA players and NFL players and their coaches, and when you hear people in Hollywood and read what they're posting on the internet, 
when you hear Pelosi and Schumer, when you hear the media, they're not pushing liberty for the individual. They're not pushing opportunity for the individual. They're pushing tyranny. They are borrowing techniques from the people they claim have abused them, have enslaved them, have attacked them, have obstructed societal advances. They insist that their way is the only way. And everybody else has to take the highway. That their liberty is defined as the liberty of society. And so we cannot have professors or teachers or writers. We cannot have movies or politicians or talk show hosts that dare to think independently and challenge this narrative. And they enforce this when you go to, go to Media Matters or go to Mediate or even these days the Drudge Report. Look at how they conduct themselves. Look at the New York Times or the Washington Post, CNN, MSNBC. It's all monolithic now. It's a a monopoly of ideology. The demand is always for more government. The attack is always on free will. Today it's based on race. Tomorrow it'll be climate change and the environment. The day after that it'll be immigration. And in every case, you must attack your society. There must be, as Obama said, fundamental transformation. Or as Marx said, you must destroy all things and all vestiges of the status quo. Family, faith, history, economy, all of it. Because in the end, there was that article that said, we're all socialists now. It's not true. With a relatively few of us recognizing what's taking place. We're all Marxists now, in one form or another. Soft Marxism, quasi-Marxism, neo-Marxism. But we're all Marxists now. I'll be right back. Lovin. At Hillsdale College, faith and learning are integrated in pursuit of a common end. And I've been talking a lot about four pillars of the Hillsdale College mission. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. Today, I'd like to focus on faith. As the founders of our nation knew, God is indeed the first authority and the motive toward which all learning moves. Hillsdale understands that we come to really know things through reason and faith. And their students are taught to pursue truth through both. Founded in 1844 by Christians, students of all faiths are welcome at Hillsdale College and always have been. How does the college teach the essentials of the Christian faith and religion, all students must take a course, the Western theological tradition, as part of Hillsdale's rigorous core curriculum. The college also offers majors in religion, philosophy and religion, and Christian studies. Hillsdale's campus is a welcoming place in which to discuss and practice faith. Respectful dialogue among Christians of different denominations and with students of non-Christian faiths is just one hallmark of this stellar college. Now to learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Levinforhillsdale.com. What are the uh, the Marxists, rioters, 
media, what do they never discuss? Individual, personal accountability and responsibility for your own life. Because you see, you cannot succeed under our existing system. It's systemically racist. It's systemically this. It's systemically that. So they don't talk about individual liberty. Now, they may live it. When you look at LeBron James, he's a billionaire. He's got multiple mansions. He's got a collection of classic cars and on and on and on. So he lives as a free individual. But he preaches positive liberty. That other people can't be free without this construct. And that anybody who disagrees with him or Colin Kaepernick, you heard Shannon uh, Sharp the other day screaming at the top of his lungs about Drew Brees, and Drew Brees was, was crushed. He was, he was beaten into the ground. Why? So one guy disagrees with you. What's the problem? It's not acceptable. It's not tolerant. Can't be tolerated. This is also why you'll hear no discussion, or maybe sort of a hit-and-run, rare reference. As an example, since this has been a focus, if you look at the inner city and you look at the facts of the slaughter and the mayhem that's going on in the inner city, and that 90% of the murders are done to blacks by blacks. You cannot focus on that. You cannot even focus on why that's the case. You cannot even focus on trying to figure out how to address or solve that issue, if it's solvable. Because now you're stepping out. That's not the problem. Systemic racism is the problem. Cops are the problem. Not enough funding for this or that. That's the problem. Slavery is the problem. And so these problems never get solved. And they never will be solved. They don't get solved and they're not going to be solved with that kind of a mindset. If you treat people as individual human beings and you say, you know what? Parents ought to have the ability to choose which school in the community their kids go to. You're crushed. If you say we should embrace the very economic model that makes so much of this society wealthy or prosperous... And embrace it and promote it in poorer communities. No, you're crushed. You're not allowed to do it. You can't do it. If you say there ought to be personal accountability and responsibility, and if somebody loots somebody's store, burns somebody's store, in the same community to another minority, no, you're crushed. You're beaten down. And that's why these issues are not going to be solved. They can pass all the laws they want. And that's why so many of these people, white, black, in between, who are wealthy, live one way under negative liberty. That is, leave me alone, I'll do whatever the hell I want to, and promote positive liberty. Which is, but this is my mindset, and I insist on imposing it on the rest of the society. And there better not be any naysayers out there either. I hope this has helped to uh, crystallize things. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. No. 
now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. There are a lot of casualties going on out there right now as a result of this uh, totalitarian movement on the left, which compels obedience, compels compliance. It cannot accept independent thinkers. It cannot accept different viewpoints. That is not Acceptable because, you know, uh, we're on the way to utopia. And so everything else has to be broomed out of the way. One of the people uh, who's been under attack, he's an old friend of mine, is a law professor at Cornell. Uh, He runs a magnificent website. You've probably seen it if you follow my uh, social media called Legal Insurrection, which is uh, kind of ironic because what we have going on now is an illegal insurrection. Uh, Bill Jacobson, how are you, my friend? Good. Thank you, Mark, for having me on. All right. What are they trying to do to you? Well, I wrote some blog posts about a week or two ago about Black Lives Matter, and I pointed out some hard truths. And one of the hard truths is that the seminal event that launched the Black uh, Lives Matter movement was the Michael Brown shooting and the claim that he was shot with his hands up saying, don't shoot. And they march to this day and they go, hands up, don't shoot. And that actually never happened. The Justice Department under Obama, Eric Holder's Justice Department, thoroughly investigated, found out it never happened. So the whole movement was started based on a fabrication. And I pointed that out. And that upset a lot of the the people in the law school community. I had a second blog post which pointed out that regardless of whether there might be people who have legitimate, honest, feelings and they protest that the founders of the movement were far left radicals who sought to tear down the country and that their philosophies, their anti-police philosophies, their anti-capitalist philosophies are playing themselves out in the organized Black Lives Matters movement today. That's why you see anti-police rhetoric, trying to defund the police, tearing things down. So these are two things that I said, and that infuriated people. The law school started getting emails demanding I be fired. Uh, 21 of my colleagues, some of whom I'd worked closely with for 10 years, signed a letter denouncing me. Um, Students started organizing petitions against me. And I finally had enough, and I went public with it. And that's where I am now. They're not going to fire me, but a lot of people want me fired. And that's where I am now. I have been now officially denounced. I I, I want to underscore this. I want to underscore this. You were hanging by a thread there for a while, and then the dean of the law school comes out and says, no, we're not going to fire Professor Jacobson, but he's a reprobate, and he denounces you. Tell everybody what he said. Yeah, exactly. Basically, it was a, a public shaming by the dean of the law school. Speaking as the dean, I mean, if he wants to, in his private capacity, criticize me, that's fine. But he's the head of the institution, announces that I have violated the um, values of the law school, that my posts were uh, irrational, he didn't use that word, but equivalent, and that he agrees with all the criticisms or a lot of the criticisms of me, and, but he's not going to fire me. 
So this, but this never happens. I don't know, and there may never have been in the history of Cornell Law School when the official institution took a position against a professor's speech. I don't care whether they like it or not, but when you're the head of the institution, you're supposed to be neutral about things. And that's where I am. I've got this uh, you know, thing hanging out there that people are going to use against me without any ability to contest it. I mean, they found me in violation of the, the school's values without giving me a chance to be heard. It was just a proclamation by the dean of the law school, and it's hanging out there now. And that's what we've come to. This is very much, and I've been using this analogy, like the Cultural Revolution in China that mm-hmm. took place under Mao, that the, if you don't agree, you are named, you are shamed, you are put on display, and if they can't fire you, they will publicly denounce you. Now, again, I want to emphasize, this is the school as an entity doing it. I don't care if individual professors want to criticize me. I mean, you know how it is, Mark. I'm out mm-hmm. on the Internet. I get criticism all day long, but I really take offense to the school as an institution putting its thumb on the scale against one of its professors because they don't like his speech. This uh, period in our history, uh, Professor Jacobson, is really unlike anything I've ever seen, anything I've ever read about. This, This really is a Maoist cultural revolution or kind of a French revolution. Um, and uh, you can see, when you see in Seattle, now you kind of see the Stalinists fighting the Maoists, and the Maoists fighting the Trotskyites, you know, it plays out the way it does. But it is, it is a nasty game. And I remember when law professors used to stand up for Nazis marching, which we all found disgusting and abhorrent, they would take the, 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 the lowest low lives in our society, the, AC, the ACLU. Has the ACLU come to your defense, sir? Nobody comes to my defense no, ever. Exactly. At school. I'm out there alone. And just to show you, I mean, we have people on the faculty who say the craziest things, who support Occupy Wall Street, who support the anti-Israel movement. Nobody, the school never issues a statement about them. But the one conservative on the whole faculty who issues a criticism of Black Lives Matter, all of a sudden, it's a huge to-do, and the professors and the students and the school now need to hold me out there and condemn me because they don't like my speech. It never happens the other way around. Not a single uh, professor, colleague, has come to your defense? No, and just the opposite. Like I said, there are people I'd worked with for 10 years closely who signed a letter against me and didn't even have the courtesy, the common human decency, to call me up and say, hey, Bill, there's this post you wrote. It's creating a little controversy. Can we talk about it? You know, no, nothing, not a phone call. I found out about it when it was published in the Cornell Sun newspaper. And then I found out that those faculty members, or at least some of them, were coordinating with students to issue and circulate a petition against me and to make sure that those student groups were going to make sure that incoming students knew to stay away from me. That's how bad it is. They wanted, the students wanted me to be labeled a racist by the school, and everybody to be warned about me. That's how bad it is. You know, Professor, there's another professor on the West Coast, an accounting professor. And he's been a professor for like 38 years. And uh, Black Lives Matters, among others, insisted that he not give final exams, particularly the black students, so they could participate in these protests and so forth. And he said, no, if an individual has a specific cause, you know, a death in the family, they're sick, I would always uh, entertain that. 
But I'm not going to have a mass no final exam. And do you know they're destroying his career? Yeah, I've read about that. This is happening. I am hearing so many stories. And one of the things that me getting attention and publicity about my situation, my inbox is flooded with people telling me similar stories. Everybody is afraid to speak up. Everybody is afraid they're going to lose their job or they're not going to get their Ph.D. Everybody has been cowered into silence. Now, I'm in a position where I can speak up. Obviously, you are too, Mark. But a lot of people aren't. You know, they're early in their career. They haven't necessarily reached their success point yet. And they're, so they just keep their mouth shut. And, they, and it's a really terrifying reign of terror. And it is so much worse now than it ever was. We always had political correctness and leftism on campuses. But with this new movement, they are it's totalitarian in nature. The students who are organizing against me have on their Facebook page that silence is violence. Think about that. What happens? I studied about the Soviet Union. I actually studied in the Soviet Union. And what would happen is you could not be left out of politics. You had to attend the meeting at your factory where they would praise the leadership. And failing to show up was considered a counter-revolutionary act. And that's where we're going. It used to be if you were on campus and a student and you could stick to your studies, stay out of politics, keep your mouth shut, they would leave you alone. You will not be left alone anymore. You must participate in the revolution going on. And I hope all your listeners understand that this time it is different and people need to speak up. And look what's going on with Sesame Street, with Nickelodeon, our public schools and the teachers unions. Are, and as you point out, colleges and universities, not just professors, but for students. Academic freedom is dead. Free speech is dead. Serious, objective, independent uh, education is dead. Uh, to, to develop and brainwash the next uh, generation of, of, of young people. I mean, this, this, is, this is so thoroughly serious. And you don't have to agree with me. But I can just imagine if Biden's elected and they take the Senate, I don't know that we're going to get this country back. I really don't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, th- I think that's true. I think the cultural purge that is going on now, and that's what it is. It's like an old-style Stalinist purge where people are disappeared from the Internet. They're disappeared from TV. They're disappeared. They're going to disappear from radio where people lose their jobs because they're not, they won't participate fully enough that we are really seeing a fundamental change. And I think if Biden wins, these, the people who created the situation will now be the, have the levers of government power. They don't have that right now. It's the one thing they don't control. They may control a city, but they don't control the national you know, levers of power. And I think they're going to use it to their advantage. And all of the purges you're seeing go on in the culture now are going to be emphasized even more. Look what's going on with Tucker Carlson. Uh, you have Media Matters, which is a Soros, hard-left group. You have the Media Organization, founded by a, a, a so-called reporter for ABC News. You have the, the Internet. You have others. He, he is labeled a white supremacist and a racist. Word goes out. It goes through a network of leftists. It goes through a network of newsrooms. They're trying to destroy him and take him out. One guy with one show, and to be perfectly honest, four or five million of viewers from time to time. That's not that big compared to all the rest of the media, but he needs to go destroy him and remove him. Yeah, and I think that's how it goes. They single somebody out. It's the old, you know, uh, you know, Alinsky rules. Yep. Alinsky rules, isolate and attack, and they try to isolate people. I mean, I see them do it to me. This is not the first time I've gone through something like this. I mean, being 
literally the only openly political conservative at the law school and one of maybe three or four in the entire university of almost 2,000 faculty members. I understand what it's like, and but it's never been as bad. Let me just tell your listeners, it has never been as bad as it is right now. Something has changed in the last six months. All right. Now, uh, Bill, Professor, if people want to keep track of this, let them know where your website is. Sure. It's LegalInsurrection.com. So you can just Google Legal Insurrection or you can just Google my name, William Jacobson, and you will find me. Let's go ahead and put that, and we often do, on uh, my uh, Facebook and Twitter sites, LegalInsurrection.com. And ladies and gentlemen, it really is a terrific website. It's a terrific site, period, and, and more now than ever before you let me know if they're still going at you, Bill, okay? Okay, thank you, Mark. All right, God bless you. He's the most decent guy there is out there. You can hear in his own voice. You can see what they're doing to him. And he's not alone. If you have teenagers, they're being pressured right now. If you have college students, they're being pressured. In all walks of life, this is taking place. All walks of life. And then these enormously wealthy individuals who do not live the way they talk, who do not live in these communities. They want one form of freedom for themselves and another form of freedom, which is really tyranny for everybody else. I will continue. Mr. Producer, let's try, let, let's try something out of left field here. Would you invite LeBron James on this show, please? See if he can find a way to communicate to get a hold of him. Then we'll have an honest debate on this. I'm happy to do it. ESPN is not going to allow it. So we'll have to do it here, right here, behind this microphone. Or, or any of these guys, Steph Curry and so forth. But try LeBron James first, because he's getting praised like hell in the sports media. But the rest of the country needs to hear this, too. The rest of the country isn't hearing it. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Now, at the bottom of the hour, we're going to have a gentleman on who you've heard on this program before and in other places. His name is Mort Klein. Mort Klein, whose family suffered during the Holocaust, who has overcome certain great obstacles in his life. And he's come to lead an organization called ZOA, the Zionist Organization of America. And for that, he's hated very, very much. 
hated by Palestinians, hated by the left, hated by Antifa, hated by Black Lives Matter, but hated by liberal Jewish organizations. And now he's under attack because he dared to call out this organization, Black Lives Matter. You're not allowed to. You can destroy him and his group, but he can't speak the truth about the other group. And so we're going to have him on at the bottom of the hour. Now, I could do a 20-hour program, and I wouldn't have enough time to bring on everybody who's now uh, the target of this effort to destroy them. And let me make a little prediction. I'm not provoking it. I'm making a prediction. If Americans are still Americans, that is, still of the spirit and of the fortitude and the resolve of the founding. There's going to be backlash to this. I don't mean violence. The left is violent. I mean, at some point, the American people, not necessarily in an organized way, are going to say enough is enough. Because the vast majority of people, law-abiding, white, black, brown, red, yellow, have about had it have about had it, and are sick and tired of this. They're sick and tired of being called names by millionaires and billionaires. They're sick and tired about the way they're being treated by propaganda media. They're sick and tired of seeing their cities burned. They're sick and tired of the whole damn thing. All of it. The vast majority of the people in this country are not represented by the media whether it's in sports or whether it's in news. They're not represented by the professoriate in our colleges. They're not represented by Hollywood. And yet these are the people who make this country work. It is they who subsidize and pay for everything. It is they who grow the food and put it on the table so we can put it in our mouths. It is they who build our homes, who make sure we have electricity and clean water. It is they who pave our roads and make our automobiles. It is they who sit in the stands as fans to pay the massive salaries of overpaid athletes and owners. And they have had enough. I have had enough. What's going on now doesn't bring people together. makes them sick to their stomach. Period. We put up with a lot these three and a half years. I don't care about Donald Trump's tweets. I care about the effort at a presidential coup. I care about the criminalization of politics. I care about the unconstitutional impeachment of a president. I care about smearing the entire population as systemically racist or systemically oppressive. Lies, lies, and they get bigger and they get worse. And I'll be right back. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.
All right. Cars today are like a computer on wheels, but you can't find any of the new features yourself. So when something breaks, it could cost a fortune. Now's not the time for expensive repairs, and that's why you need CarShield. CarShield has affordable protection plans that can save you thousands for a covered repair, including computers, GPS, electronics, and more. CarShield understands payment flexibility is a must. Plans are customizable and as low as $99 a month. No long-term contracts or commitments. Plus, you get to pick your favorite mechanic or dealership to do the work, and CarShield takes care of the rest. CarShield is America's number one auto protection company. For as low as $99 a month, you can protect yourself from surprises and save thousands. So call 800-CAR-6000, mention code LEVIN, or visit carshield.com. Use code LEVIN, L-E-V-I-N. You'll save 10% either way. 800-CAR-6000, mention LEVIN, carshield.com. Use code LEVIN, save 10%. A deductible may apply. Mort Klein is the uh, child of Holocaust survivors. And uh, he was born in a displaced persons camp in Gunzburg, Germany. He's now one of the leading voices in the American-Israeli relationship. And he's president of ZOA, Zionist Organization of America. And he's under attack now. People are trying to destroy him and destroy his organization. Mort Klein, how are you, sir? Hi. It's been a rough week for Americans who love America. Rough week. Tell me, tell me what's going on here, and also tell everybody what Alan Dershowitz had to say. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I became very concerned that the, BL, the, black, uh, the, the uh, black Lives Matter Black Lives Matter movement has gained incredible visibility and credibility in the last two weeks. They're all over the place. <laughs> because of that, and because of their anti-Semitism, I thought I have to call them out. Their platform calls, says that Israel commits genocide against the Arabs. Genocide, which is amazing because there were 200,000 Arabs uh, in Israel in 1948. Today there's 2 million. So the genocide program is not working too well. They say that Israel is an apartheid state, even though Arabs have full, equal rights, civil and voting rights as Jews. They support boycotting Israel. Uh, they say Zionism at its core is, is white supremacy. And more than just that, they want to defund every police station, all the police in America. They want to end funding the U.S. military. They want to end the capitalism system. They want to pay reparations to countries we went to war with, Somalia, Iraq, Libya. They want us to pay money to these countries that we were forced to go to war with. And they want to end the global war on terrorism, which protects Americans. Uh, So this is really awful. And, they, uh, and so I've called them out and simply said what is in their platform. And because of this, leaders of the left-wing Jewish organizations, uh, led by Rick Jacobs, the head of the Reform Jewish Movement, the Israeli Labor Party in America, J Street, a radical left-wing anti-Israel group, have demanded that I be thrown out of the Conference of Presidents. They call me a racist and Islamophobe when I am simply calling out the Black Lives Matter they're the racists. They're the haters and bigots, and yet they're calling me a bigot because I'm attacking them. They're so afraid of Black Lives Matter, antagonizing them, that they want me to shut up. They want to end freedom of speech for Americans and specifically for me. 
And thank God, uh, Alan Dershowitz, the famed criminal lawyer, <laughs> has now written articles, has gone on television, saying the same thing that Black Lives Matter is an anti-Semitic, racist group. And he has said, if they try to d go after me or my organization, he said, I will defend Morton Klein and ZOA politically, and I will defend him legally. So that was very comforting to me, and I was deeply grateful. So you have these hard left-wing groups in all these ethnic groups, uh, particularly in the Jewish uh, community, like J Street and the others. The, uh, the reform movement, which I have now uh, left, uh, I was barely part of it anyway, but I was raised as a reformed Jew. I don't even know what that means anymore. Uh, most of these organizations, is it not true, most if not all, hate Donald Trump and hate Benjamin Netanyahu? Uh, it, it, it's mindless, irrational hatred. The hatred is so intense, it's as if, it's as if we had, you know, Nazis running the government. That, that's how intense the hatred is of most American Jewish leaders uh, who are far left-wing, and they would do anything to try and bring him down, uh, even though he's been the greatest friend to Israel ever, and one of the greatest presidents for the United States ever. So this is completely, it makes no sense about these left-wing groups being so hostile. That includes not only the reform movement, the conservative Jewish movement, uh, the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, is extremely hostile. Well, and the head of the ADL is the former Obama appointee, and yet Obama was the worst president in the history of uh, our relationship with Israel, and he is embraced and loved by these groups. Isn't it true... More Klein, that these groups really are Democrat front groups? Well, I can only say that the vast majority of them overwhelmingly vote for Democrats and want Democrats to, uh, to be elected. Uh, you know, that, mm. that, that, that's a fact. I know these people. I talk to them. Uh, that's who they are. There's, there's almost no Republicans uh, among them. So they're trying to drive you out of what organiza organization and explain it to the public? <laughs> it's an umbrella group. Of, of 50 major Jewish organizations called the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. It's an umbrella group uh, that meets regularly to try and speak with one voice about issues affecting Israel. <laughs> and ZOA is a Zionist organization of America, is a charter member. We helped found it in 1956. They want to throw me out for one reason. They want to reduce my credibility and demonize me so people won't listen to me. This is their tactic. Uh, as opposed, by the way, they only call me names, racist, bigot, xenophobe. They don't say one word about what I've said as to why it's inaccurate or incorrect. It's just name-calling to try and drive me out. Even though everything I said, I simply wrote what is in the platform of the anti-Semitic Black Lives Movement uh, uh, platform. And by the way, it's not only in their platform, it's on their Facebook. Why, why do they lie about it? <laughs> why do they lie about it? If the group is what it is, and it is everything you say it is, why pretend it's something else? Why lie to their members? Why lie to the Jewish community? Why lie to the American people? And you see this not only among these left-wing Jewish groups, you see it among left-wing entities everywhere, even culturally. I mean, you have the, the head of the NFL basically begging and, uh, and talking about he stands with uh, Black Lives Matter. Does he understand that group as an anti-American, anti-Semitic group? Does he care? Uh, uh, no, he doesn't. People, all these people... Have, are petrified of the violence they've seen. They're afraid that Black Lives Matter could, could get even more violent and start p promoting violence against Jews, against synagogues, which we've seen. Three-quarters of the Jewish store in L.A. have been destroyed. Synagogues have been destroyed. Hold it, hold up, 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 up. Say that again, slowly. Three-quarters three of the Jewish stores in Los Angeles 
have been uh, uh, destroyed. From the riots? <clears throat> From the riots. Uh, a, a dozen or more synagogues in L.A. have been defaced with statements, free Palestine, uh, uh, kill all Jews. Uh, uh, and I uh, saw the swastika in Minneapolis. I, don't, I, I had to stop counting it was on so many buildings. That's right. <laughs> so the, these Jewish leaders... And by, and, by, and by the way, did you see any reports on that in the network news or CNN or MSNBC? I didn't see any. No, almost no one is reporting it. You have to really read everything to find this out. It's not a major story, but although it should be. It shows the anti-Semitism. It started to look a little bit like Kristallnacht to me there for a while. <laughs> That's a painful and accurate analogy uh, that you just uh, cited. <laughs> and uh, as I said, these people from the, from the NFL a guy to the Jewish leaders uh, are afraid, are scared to death of Black Lives Matter. They're afraid of antagonizing them. That's why they feel, if they say to Mort Klein, you're a bigot, you're a racist, stop condemning Black Lives Matter, they feel they'll be protected. It is a, a psychological fear they have. But they, they have to understand, it's not only anti-Semitic that Black Lives Matter. They're anti-American. They want to defund the police and the U.S. military and capitalism, pay reparations to, to, to third world terrorist countries. So this is an American issue, not just a Jewish issue. Mm-hmm. And, All right. If people want to help you or learn more, where do they go? Go on my website, zoa.org, zoa.org. You'll learn all about what I just talked about and more. We put stuff out almost every day, and there's a place to donate to help us. Uh, we welcome everyone to, uh, to help us be stronger. We fight for America. We fight for Israel. We fight for strong U.S.-Israel relations. We fight for truth, and we fight against terrorism. Uh, uh, so we're really the only Jewish organization that encompasses all of those uh, missions, all, 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 all right. that agenda. So, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to put it up on Mark Levin Show Facebook, Mark Levin Show Twitter. ZOA.org. Uh, Mark Klein, I wish you safety, and I wish you the best, sir. Thank you so much for your holy patriotic work. You're really one of a kind. Well, thank you, Mort. You too. Shocking. Absolutely shocking. The intimidation, the fear, the threats. It's absolutely appalling. And then, you know... It's sort of a side issue, and it's sort of not. You say, well, where do I go? Where, where can I defend it? You say, maybe I'll go to the courts. Go to the courts? Well, where are you going to go? You see what's happening again to uh, General Flynn tonight? I thought there was some hope with the circuit court in Washington, D.C., the three-judge panel. Two judges on there I used to respect. We'll see what they do. And based on the oral argument today that went on for two hours, if their comments during oral argument wind up in their decision, what they basically said was, why should we cut this short? Why should we prevent the trial judge from even making a ruling? Incredible. Incredible. Here you have a retired three-star general who's been treated like uh, it's old Stalin's regime. There is no, that the, the, the judicial system and the prosecutorial system used against General Flynn is a system that Stalin and Mao would have been proud of. Not the American system. The American system was bastardized. 
And these judges dare to say, well, why, why shouldn't we wait? Why shouldn't we wait for an opinion? Why shouldn't you wait? Where the hell have you people been? From the FISA court that knew about these abuses because we told them about it at Landmark Legal Foundation and sat on their hands? To a district judge who's completely out of control? I don't give a damn how he's ruled in every other case up to this point. To now a three-judge panel on the circuit court. Well, why, what's the hurry here? Let's just let this play out. It's not all that unusual. Really? So it's not all that unusual that the FBI sets up a general. It's not all that unusual that they conceal exculpatory evidence from the defendant. It's not all that unusual that a judge sitting during a sentencing discussion, a sentencing hearing, says to the defendant that he's a traitor. Oh, that's not that unusual, according to these three judges on the circuit court in Washington, D.C. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. If you uh, haven't tried Super Beat Soft Chews, trust me on this, you're missing out. Super Beat Soft Chews continue non-GMO beets with a powerful new ingredient, grapeseed extract. The grapeseed extract used in Super Beat Chews has been clinically shown to be two times as effective at supporting normal blood pressure as a healthy lifestyle alone. Better blood pressure means more energy, the way nature intended, without the jittery caffeine or stimulants. And now you can take just two delicious chews a day, and they are delicious, anytime, anywhere, to get the blood pressure support you need and the energy you want. Do what I did and support your heart health with delicious Super Beats Chews. Get your Super Beats Chews today. Here's where you go. LevinsBeats.com. L-E-V-I-N-S-B-E-E-T-S.com. LevinsBeats.com. And when you buy two bags, they'll throw in the third one for free. That's levinsbeats.com, levinsbeats.com. You know, I already see a narrative and some positioning going on uh, over at National Review with my good friend Rich Lowry, who I admire greatly. And he writes a piece, and basically he's saying, you know, Trump is kind of his worst enemy. I mean, he could be above the fray, but he gets in these fights with reporters, and he tweets, and he reaches down, and he doesn't know it, and it's really harmed him a lot. And I think to myself... This is amazing to me. Tweets. Fighting with reporters. That's not the way this started. And if Trump didn't engage, he'd be destroyed already. Now, I don't support every tweet and everything. That's not what I'm saying. But this is a man whose campaign was spied on by the Obama administration. This is a man with the top level of the FBI went out to destroy him. First to prevent his election and then to sabotage his presidency. This is a man who was criminally investigated, his family, his friends, his businesses, without any predication whatsoever. This is a man who was impeached for nothing. 
and he's still under vicious, brutal assault. This is a man who's both called Hitler, a Nazi, a white supremacist, Stalin, Mussolini, by people at NBC and ABC and CBS and MSNBC and CNN. This is a man, even before he stepped into the Oval Office, who's being subject, uh, 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 sub- subjected to the worst form of, uh, I can't even call politics, of tyranny. If Donald Trump loses, it's not beca- going to be because of his personality or his tweets, Rich. You look at what's arrayed against him, the entire culture. Virtually the entire body politic. Ex-generals, the heads of the FBI, the heads of intelligence agencies. Virtually every single newsroom in America. If he loses, that's why he loses. Not because of his tweets or his personality or the way he responds to the media. Even more than that, this election is about we the people. This is an election about whether we hold on what's left of this country. Look around you, where we have the media lying to us. You know, it's mostly peaceful. I even hear this from a friend of mine on one of my favorite cable networks. You know, it was mostly peaceful, mostly peaceful, mostly... It's like propaganda. We've been watching it with our own two eyes. We've been listening to it. Please stop repeating yourselves over and over again like... Like we're ignorant and you're so smart and you're trying to brainwash us. If it was mostly peaceful, we wouldn't care. When the Tea Party had protest, it was always peaceful. All of it, from beginning to end. Yet they were degraded and attacked. When the people across this country protested, yes, some of them carrying weapons... Not one bullet was fired. Nobody was hurt. Nothing was burned down. It wasn't a movement against the country. It was a movement so they could get their liberty back. And when they were brutalized by iron-fisted governors and mayors, you and the media, you called them all kinds of names, that they were endangering their fellow citizens. You didn't say, well, it's mostly peaceful. It's peaceful protest. They have a right to free speech. You never said any of that. If the president loses, we lose. We lose. I don't give a damn what Mattis has to say or Millie has to say or Esper has to say or Kelly has to say. I've got children and grandchildren. So do you. I know what the hell's going on in this country. So do you. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. You know... 
None of the people demanding that history be desecrated. None of them. None of them had the wisdom of Abraham Lincoln. None of them are liberating anybody. None of them are contributing to society. They are self-promoting egoists and narcissists for the most part. Their lives are utterly unaffected. But Mark, shouldn't we rename the ships? Shouldn't we pull down the Confederate statues? Ladies and gentlemen, should we take a knee when we see the American flag that has nothing to do with the Confederacy? Should we take a knee when the national anthem is played and sung, which has nothing to do with the Confederacy? This isn't about the Confederacy. The Lincoln Memorial was desecrated. He defeated the Confederacy. He emancipated the slaves. Roger Goodell didn't do that. LeBron James didn't do that. Nancy Pelosi didn't do that. Joe Biden certainly didn't do that. Should we go to war again? Civil war against the South? Or should we just have a race war? Is that what we should do? Well then what are they pushing? These people on the left. What do they want? The attacking of the American flag and the attacking of the national anthem? I thought the North won. Nancy Pelosi, and she's not alone, wants to remove up 11 statues from Statutory Hall. Now, the states get to pick the two statues they want, and these statues have been in there forever. Just like Nancy Pelosi. She's a statue. And she woke up two days ago and she decided that these 11 statues of Confederate officers need to be removed from the Congress. Now, she wasn't troubled with real flesh and blood when Robert Byrd was the majority leader of the Democrat Party, was she? She's not demanding that the Russell office building change its name since Richard Russell of Georgia was a segregationist, is she? She's not demanding that the South secede since the South, after all, was the Confederacy at the time. No, she's not demanding any of that. She has her limits, you know. Now, she's been speaker twice. As I said yesterday, she was speaker at a time when the Democrats controlled the entire Senate and House, and they could have removed those statues. She never said a word about them. That's how serious she is. The Russell Senate Office Bill. There's the name. That's how unserious they are. So if we take these 11 statues out of Statutory Hall, then what? These statues of uh, Christopher Columbus are being destroyed. What does he have to do with segregation? Nothing. 
Nothing. But it needs to come down. Meanwhile, most of these same groups and individuals support the Palestinians. And by that I mean Palestinian terrorism. The Palestinian Authority, Hamas. Why is that? Virtually all of them support Black Lives Matter, which was born of anti-Americanism, anti-capitalism, and anti-Semitism. It's a radical Marxist organization. It doesn't matter what other people say. That's the history. And I'm not burning down that history. History matters. If we were a systemically racist society, there would be no NBA. There would be no NFL. There would be no billionaire owners of any of these teams because they wouldn't matter. Trillions of dollars wouldn't pour into our inner cities. We're none of these things. And they know it. On the left, they know it in the media. They know it. You don't destroy these statues or monuments because they teach us the good, the bad, and the ugly of the country. You don't destroy books. We're a free country with a free people who can make up our own minds. This goes back to the first hour of the program, one of the most complicated hours I know that, that has ever been on radio, but it is what it is. What's meant by freedom? Tell me, do many of you feel free today? Black, white, and in between? Or do you feel less free today than you did two weeks ago? Are you more in fear today than you were two weeks ago? Sure you are. Because those peaceful riots are a very dangerous thing. Violence is a very dangerous thing. When you're treated not as an individual human being, but as a white person or a black person and so forth, it's a very dangerous thing. And in the end, nobody's going to be helped from this. People are going to be horribly harmed. Harmed. This movement should never invoke Abraham Lincoln's name. He'd be disgusted by what he sees. Abraham Lincoln could have given his second inaugural address. He could have talked about rounding up the Confederate soldiers. He could have talked about exhuming their bodies and, uh, and, and removing them anywhere in the north. He could have gone on. He never did that. He wanted to bring the country together. Is that what you see on TV? Is that what you hear from the left? Of course not. Let me tell you a little secret. Abraham Lincoln couldn't get elected president today. There's no way. In his first election, he got 40% of the popular vote. In his re-election, he didn't win by a landslide. I'm doing this by memory. I think he got 54, 56% of the vote. And that's without the southern states participating. He couldn't get elected today because he talks about a united country. He talks about the great founders of the country. He talks about how early on they really did reject slavery, but they couldn't do as much about it as they wanted to do about it. This is considered heresy today. Abraham Lincoln was a law and order president. The current president's being attacked for this. The current president hasn't sent the military into a single city. And yet we have these, these ex-generals and the current head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff acting like this president has done something. 
Not a single bullet has been shot by regular military against any citizen. Not one. And you would have thought he was LBJ or JFK or Dwight Eisenhower who did use the regular military, and they did at different times shoot bullets under the Insurrection Act. Now, I hope those of you who are on the fence and worried about the president's tweets are really paying attention to what's going on in this country because we're losing it. And it's not because of Trump. It's because of the other side. If you have a presidential candidate, a Democrat, that can't even condemn daily and forcefully what's going on in this country, you can expect a hell of a lot more of it. You see what's going on in Seattle? That's anarchy. Here you have, and I'll point out the irony because nobody else will, here you have a police chief in Seattle, a woman and an African-American who's furious about what's taking place there and has been told to stand down. Meanwhile, you have a wealthy white liberal mayor who's saying there, you know, it's just a block party. You have the African-American chief of police saying people are being raped and robbed and the police can't help them. And again, the wealthy white liberal Democrat mayor, it's a block party. Now that chief of police in Seattle, Joe Biden's not vetting her as possible vice presidential candidate. The Democrat Party's not talking her up as a real strong person in the face of all this. No. And yet she is. She's the chief of police. And she wants to do her job. She wants to protect the citizenry. But she's not allowed to. What do you think Abraham Lincoln would say about that? Now, hypocrisy is irrelevant on the left and on the Democrat side. Pelosi could have pulled down those Confederate statues with Harry Reid anytime she wanted to. Never, ever, ever did. She could have demanded that we rename our ships. She didn't. But something has come out of the closet on her. Something's come out of the closet, thanks to our friends at Breitbart, and they have a hell of a great site over there. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who on Wednesday demanded the removal of Confederate statues occupying the U.S. Capitol, has remained silent on her father's role in overseeing the dedication of the Stonewall Jackson and Robert E. Lee monuments while serving as Baltimore's mayor in 1948. Now, if we had a true Stalinist revolution, Nancy Pelosi would be called to account because her blood was involved in promoting the Confederacy. doesn't matter if she was or not. That's her blood. That's one generation ago. She hasn't even been confronted by the media on this. Hasn't even been confronted. Except by Breitbart. Pelosi this week formally requested the removal of Confederate statues occupying the U.S. Capitol, dismissing them as monuments to men who advocated cruelty and barbarism to achieve such a plainly racist end. Her demand comes as angry protesters across the nation take matters into their own hands, vandalizing and in some cases uh, beheading statues and monuments memorializing the Civil War era and beyond. I'm surprised they don't have a guillotine. 
So I've said before, the halls of Congress are the very heart of our democracy. The statues in the Capitol should embody our highest ideals as Americans, expressing who we are and who we aspire to be as a nation, Pelosi said in her letter to Committee Chair Roy Blunt and Vice Chair Zoe Lofgren. Monuments to men who advocated cruelty and barbarism to achieve such a plainly racist and or grotesque affronts to the ideals, she said, our ideals. Their statues pay homage to hate, not heritage. They must be removed. Well, then her father's a real SOB. He's a real bastard. He's a real racist and a hater. Thomas D'Alessandro, that's her maiden name, oversaw the dedication of such a statue in Baltimore's Wyman Park, the Stonewall Jackson and Robert E. Lee Monument, as mayor of the city in 1948. Mark, that's way back in 1940. Who cares? We're going way back to 300 years now. At the time, the speaker's father said people could look to Jackson and Lee's lives as inspiration and urged Americans to emulate Jackson's example and stand like a stone wall against aggression in any form that would seek to destroy the liberty of the world. He said World Wars I and II found the North and South fighting for a common cause, and the generalship and military science displayed by these two great men in the war between the states lived on and were applied in the military's plans of our nation in Europe and the Pacific areas. He's right about that. D'Alessandro said at the dedication, Baltimore Sun continued, Today with our nation beset, he said, by subversive groups and propaganda, which seeks to destroy our national unity, we look for inspiration to the lives of Leah Jackson to remind us to be resolute and determined in preserving our sacred institutions. And he goes on. City crews removed the statue in August 2017 under the direction of the city council. Pelosi's office did not respond to Breitbart's request for comment on the matter. This is not the only inquiry Pelosi refused to answer regarding her family's history. The Speaker has also in recent weeks criticized President Trump's response to violent riots. In June 4 letter to the President, she wrote, We're concerned about the increased militarization and lack of clarity that may increase chaos. Listen to this. She's one of the mob. I'm writing to request a full list of the agencies involved in clarifications of the roles and responsibilities of the troops and federal law enforcement resources operating in the city. Congress and the American people need to know who's in charge. What is the chain of command? What is the mission? And by what authority? So in other words, she's just trying to sabotage the president in the middle of a, uh, of a riot. But Pelosi's brother, while serving as Baltimore's mayor in the 1960s, specifically requested then-Governor Spiro Agnew call in the National Guard to quell the unrest during the riots of 1968. This from Baltimore Magazine. At 10 p.m., city police admitted their inability to contain the chaos and Governor Spiro Agnew, at the request of Baltimore Mayor Thomas D'Alessandro III, called in the National Guard, simultaneously issuing an 11 p.m. and 6 a.m. curfew for the city. Gee, it sounds like her father, excuse me, her brother, was he like Bull Connor or something? And it goes on. The Speaker's office didn't return Breitbart's request for comment on her brother's use of the National Guard either. Of course not. And what about those ships? Wasn't Obama president of the United States? Wasn't Biden vice president of the United States? They controlled the Senate in the first two years, the House. They could have named these ships whatever they wanted. Good ship, lollipop, whatever. Joe Pollack, Breitbart again. The U.S. Army under President Obama turned down the suggestion in 2015 of renaming military bases that had been named for Confederate generals. 
The Obama administration rejected the idea of renaming military bases, named for Confederate bases, noting that many of the names had been adopted as symbols of reconciliation between North and South after the burial of the Civil, Civil War. Uh, not ships, I meant bases. So Obama said no. But today, Betrayus says yes. What happened in five years? What happened is the Democrats kind of like these riots, kind of like the exploitation, kind of like the American people fighting with each other. They figure it's going to turn out their vote, particularly when they blame it all on the President of the United States. This is a very, very evil party, and it always has been. I'll be right back. in. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America, now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine, full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. One of the best senators, by far, one of the best. There's like three or four of them tops. And he's right at the top. Tom Cotton will be on the program in just a few minutes. I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Levin Show. This is the home of the July 4th Americans. And you can call at 877-381-3811. Senator Tom Cotton, how are you, sir? I'm doing very well, Mark. Thank you for having me on once again. I hope you're well and your listeners are well, too. Let, let me ask you a question first, which is this. You served in the military. You're a United States senator. You see what's going on in this country. 
Are you as worried as I am and the millions of people who listen to this audience that we're losing this country? Well, Mark, I'm very worried about the mobs that I see on the street. Um, you know, started out mobs infiltrating protests and demonstrations a couple of weeks ago, and now you have mobs that are vandalizing and destroying parts of our heritage um, that don't have the first clue about what they're destroying. I mean, look at what happened in Philadelphia, Mark. They defaced the statue of Matthias Baldwin. <laughs> Matthias Baldwin was a famous, devoted, passionate abolitionist. Mm-hmm. Uh, yet they defaced the statue. Look what happened in Boston, Mark. <laughs> they defaced the Robert Goldshaw and 54th Massachusetts Regiment Memorial. The 54th Regiment was the first African-American regiment mm-hmm. that served for the Union cause, and its bravery and valor and skill in battle was depicted in the famous movie Glory. And those are just a, a couple examples I could give you, but we cannot continue to tolerate this kind of of mob violence and mob rule. Uh, you know, Abraham Lincoln said in his famous speech to the Young Man's Lyceum that the spirit of the mob is antithetical to the self-government and the rule of law. And you know, at the, at the end, surely before he was assassinated, his second inaugural speech, it was a speech about God, faith, unity, harmony, um, I think he'd be appalled by what's going on here today. What, what, do people want another civil war? They want a race war? What is it exactly that they're pushing for here? Yeah, I, I know, Mark. I mean, look at what's happening in Seattle as we speak. I was just looking at TV a few minutes ago, and uh, they still have the, new, the newest country on earth, the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, hmm. um, where the, the mayor of Seattle and the governor of Washington State have allowed these anarchists to set up uh, no-go zone for the police and government authorities. In one instance, they've even taken over a government building. Um, for the people who live in the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, who once were perfectly happy to live in Seattle, I'm not sure what recourse they have, to whom they would go if their trash isn't getting picked up or the water's not running, much less if someone broke into their homes. But you have these radical left-wingers in Seattle who have, uh, think that they're going to secede from the United States. I mean, I guess the Democratic Party remains the party of secession today. Yes, just, it, as it yeah. was, just as it was in 1861. And a nullification, like of immigration laws. And, you know, it's interesting, you have an African-American police chief, also a female, who wants to put her foot down, who wants to stop this, and you have a white, wealthy, liberal Democrat who's the mayor, who thinks this is a block party. I mean, I tell you, all right, Senator, I want to ask you something. You went through a bit of a uh, situation there with the New York Times, and the people who listen to this audience, they, they know the history of the New York Times. I don't know if you know that the New York Times, uh, right up until 1944, barely reported on the Holocaust, even though it knew about it. And in 1932, while Stalin was wiping out millions and millions and starving them in Ukraine, uh, their reporter, Walter Durante, was, uh, was on the take, and he was putting out f- propaganda on behalf of Stalin. This is yeah. the history in part of the New York Times. And it's, this, it, it's not exactly the same, obviously, on a different level. But, but it is a, a mindset um, that is extremely troubling. It's, it's, it's almost tyrannical. What happened to you exactly? Yeah, Mark, let's remember it's the Pulitzer Prize winning Mulcair oh, yes. Durante. <laughs> You're right. You're right. It's pro-Stalin propaganda on behalf of the New York Times. Uh, so about, I guess it was two weekends ago, Mark, the last weekend of May, in which you saw some of the worst 
of the mob violence. Um, protests have been infiltrated and hijacked by rioters, looters, um, really anarchists and insurrectionists. And the governor of Minneapolis refused to call out the National Guard to support his local police department in trying to uh, maintain order. In Washington, D.C., on the night of Sunday, May 31st, um, these anarchists torched St. John's, a famous church right across Lafayette Square from the White House. They defaced the World War II Memorial, they defaced the Lincoln Memorial, the memorial of the great emancipator, um, in addition to looting hundreds of businesses um, across the country. Uh, so I simply said that morning, look, if the police are overwhelmed and outnumbered, they need backup, that's a job for the military. First, the National Guard, and if necessary, regular active duty troops under the Insurrection Act. So I, I contacted the New York Times that week to talk about an op-ed on another topic, a related topic, but another topic, Mark. They asked me. The New York Times asked me to flesh out my case about the Insurrection Act. It is historically grounded. It is legally grounded. We published that article um, after a rigorous round of fact-checking and editorial review, just like my previous op-eds in the uh, New York Times, Mark. And then the, the woke mob in the New York Times newsroom, all these 20-year-old kids who didn't study history in college but apparently did study social justice, rose up in anger demanding that they have a safe space from my microaggressions, uh, to use the language of the college campus. Now, at first, the leaders of the New York Times said, no, we defend the decision to publish it. That only lasted about a day until they finally capitulated. They threw in the towel. They implied there were some facts wrong in my op-ed, although they still haven't cited one. Um, and they ultimately ended up, the owner, the publisher, a woke millennial himself, fired the editorial page editor for the apparent transgression of publishing an opinion that is uh, unpopular in the New York Times newsroom, but has the support of a majority of Americans. Now, look, the New York Times is a laughing stock, but it's no laughing matter because it is deeply hostile to the spirit of free debate, free inquiry that undergirds our democratic system of self-government. It's been, truthfully, it has been a trash entity for a century. As, we, as I was talking about these other occasions, I don't have any corporation media or otherwise, that could survive that kind of conduct during World War II or that kind of conduct immediately after the Russian Revolution. And yet uh, all these graduates from journalism school or Democrats who leave Capitol Hill want to work for the New York Times. It's, it's really quite an amazing thing. Now, the Insurrection Act has been used by Bush 43, Bush 41, Lyndon Johnson. It's been used by... Uh, John Kennedy, Eisenhower, Truman, and I, I can go back further and further and further. Uh, it, they may, and, and Donald Trump didn't use it. And yet Donald Trump is said to be a dictator and abusing military authority, when in fact you're exactly right, your op-ed was brilliant. He could have triggered the Insurrection Act to put down these insurrections. It's amazing to me that he gets painted with this brush. That, that, that's absolutely right, Mark. I talked to him a couple a couple times early last week about this very topic, and we agreed that it's not something a president should do lightly or quickly or as a first resort. But if the violence that we saw a couple Sundays ago had continued through the middle of last week, then that was a step that may have been necessary. Now, fortunately, the governor of Minnesota came to his senses and called out his entire National Guard and restored order in Minneapolis. Fortunately, Attorney General Barr, as the chief law enforcement officer who has a lot of specialized law enforcement at his disposal in Washington, our nation's capital, in addition to our National Guard, restored order in Washington, D.C., so it wasn't necessary. But as you say, the Insurrection Act is almost as old as the country itself, and 
the history of it, it is goes back almost to the beginning of our country, and it was used as recently as 1992 in the L.A. riots. But again, apparently, that is too much to take for the woke millennial mob at the New York Times that goes up to and includes the publisher there. Um, and now, I, you know, how can you ever be confident of publishing a controversial or contrarian op-ed at the New York Times? How can their columnists, especially the columnists who are not on the far left, be confident that they can write um, and be competent in writing their next column without fear of losing their job? It's the same newspaper pushing the 1619 Project, trying to destroy America's uh, reverence for our founders and the in the literal founding of this country. I want to ask you a question. You served in the military. What was the rank that you, the highest rank you got? Captain. You're captain. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Okay. You see these ex-generals. You even see the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Now, I must tell you, Captain, I have never seen anything like this. You have the ex- uh, head of the uh, Defense Department, having left as a general, Mattis. You have Kelly, who was a four-star in in the Marines. Uh, yes, they're private citizens at this point, but they're trying to tie the president's hands on the use, potentially, of the of military, playing to the resistance, playing to the media. I mean, I mean it's, it's and, and, you know, and the attorney general has explained over and over what happened in Lafayette Park. The U.S. Park Police explained over and over what happened in Lafayette Park. Yet they all, all of them, continue to lie about what happened in Lafayette Park, like somehow the president of the United States abused his office. What do you make of this? Yeah, Mark, I think your point is very well taken. As the attorney general said about the former secretary of defense in his letter, um, he simply misinformed about the facts. The military wasn't even involved in clearing the perimeter at Lafayette Park. It was the park police. It was just an ordinary specialized federal law enforcement agency. And it was something that the attorney general had agreed and directed to have been done much earlier in the day on Monday, not because the president wanted to take a uh, symbolic view of St. John's Church, a church where every president has worshipped since James Madison, which had been torched by rioters the night before. But the attorney general said that needed to happen because the protesters and then the rioters and the looters and the anarchists were simply too close to the White House itself. So they wanted to clear Lafayette Park, a decision made early in the day Monday. Look, at, in, in this case, you know, they've got a, a right to their opinion the way any other American does, but they're wrong. And as the attorney general said, they're misinformed about the facts as well. Well, apparently they do, but the Tea Party doesn't. And people three weeks ago wanting their jobs and their homes and their, uh, and their jobs, uh, their businesses back down. Senator Cotton, I've gotten to know you. I, I'm very proud to know you. You're doing a tremendous job. You're a great patriot, and I want to thank you. Thank you very much, Mark. Always great to be on with you. All right. Take care of yourself. We'll be right back. Mark Levin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. 
And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Very important uh, Life, Liberty, and Levin on Sunday. Uh, Two brilliant individuals, again, to talk about the statistics about the police, police enforcement, our communities. On Saturday, they're actually doing a rerun at 7 p.m. of my guests Shelby Steele and Bob Woodson. Very, very important, both shows. Very, very important because I'm trying to show uh, what people who have studied these issues for decades and decades and decades have to say about it as, to po- as opposed to uh, people who know nothing or very little of what they speak. Also, I'm going to continue my BDS movement against the NFL. I haven't watched a lot of basketball other than college basketball for years now. It just bores me. But football was my sport. Not anymore. The Philadelphia Eagles, my team, they can go to hell. I could care less about Carson Wentz or any of the rest of them. I'm, not going to, I'm simply not going to give money to or give ratings to individuals and organizations that call me, my friends, and my family racist. It's not going to happen. And I would strongly encourage you to do the same thing. This is what I'm talking about. It's time for people to push back. We want harmony in this country. We want unity in this country. We want a colorblind society. But apparently, a number of other people do not. They reject Lincoln and they reject Martin Luther King. And they reject, and they reject common decency. So I am not going to give money and I'm not going to give ratings to people who hate my country and hate me. And don't tell me they're just pulling down Confederate statues. They are effectively burning the American flag and booing the national anthem. And they can give whatever reason they want. It's not acceptable to me. Period. So I hope you'll join me in my BDS movement against those entities that hate us. They shouldn't get our money, they shouldn't get our ratings, they shouldn't get our time, and they shouldn't get our respect. Now, in honor of our country, and in honor of its people, all its people, here we go.
All right, folks, don't forget, you are a great people. This is a great country, period. Don't forget Life, Liberty, and Levin, Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, emergency personnel. Thank you. Good night, Spritey. Good night, Griffey. Good night, Pepsi. Good night, Smokey. Good night, Zelda. Good night, Gigi. Just too many of them. So many. And good night, my beautiful, beautiful Barney. And I will see you on Monday. Be strong. Be proud. And good night, Dad. Good night, Mom. And good night, Leo. God bless each and every one of you. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.